Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode to look back at South Carolina, and uh, we'll kind of look ahead and look back uh, as well, but we'll kind of look back at what the, the Gators did in the SEC play uh, in Dan Mullen's first season. To, and joining me doing that is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his work at readandreaction.com. Will, uh, go back and uh, look at the game. Your article is up on Read and Reaction, but uh, I will say, you know, I led the podcast with it yesterday. I counted them out. I didn't, I didn't think they had it in them to come back, not only once, uh, but multiple times in that game against South Carolina. Yeah, I believed in them the whole time, Dave. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you and I were messaging back and forth, and Bill was involved too. And, uh, you know, it looked pretty bleak there heading into the fourth quarter, right before they scored the touchdown to to bring it to 10 before the uh, before the end of the fourth quarter. And, you know, quite honestly, last year this offense couldn't have even come close to this comeback. And it's something <laughs> maybe even for a decade we couldn't have had this kind of comeback. So um, kudos to the team, kudos to, to Mullen. I mean, it was a heck of a comeback. And, and, you know, you don't want to make a habit of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, one score games can go either way. And if South Carolina had driven right down the field, then it would have all been all for naught. But, hey, it came out with the win, and, and that's the important thing. Yeah, it was kind of a weird uh, uh, atmosphere for me because uh, a guy I worked with has never been to a college football game. That was his first college football game ever uh, there. So uh, he was uh, dressed in gator garb and stuff, but uh, traveled with a South Carolina fan we worked with uh as well so it was kind of it, it was fun uh seeing the reaction of uh my uh you know I'm, I'm not one to brag or get anybody's face but uh you know just to sit there and and watch this look like we didn't have a chance and then uh look at him at the end of the game and kind of shook my head and like yeah uh, that, yeah that, that kind of happened that that just happened well, not to mention, I mean, you know, it's not as if Muschamp's unfamiliar with having no. that sort of collapse of the swamp. <laughs> so, you know, he was uh, the South Carolina fans are experiencing what the Florida fans experienced for many, many years on, under Muschamp, and uh, he's your problem yeah. now. <laughs> definitely true and and then in this post game conference it was you know he's going to get it fixed and uh, uh, we we heard that a few times until he didn't and uh so, you know, I mean, South Carolina went pretty conservative in that second half, but Florida's mm -hmm. defense also really stepped up. Um, and, and so I, I think a combination of both of those things really allowed the comeback. And then Frank's played a lot better in the second half, and you start seeing a quarterback who's playing, um, you know, efficiently, if not spectacularly, and then, uh, and then the running game that Florida brought. And all of a sudden, the offense looked downright explosive in that fourth quarter. Yeah, we'll get all, we'll get all into that. Uh, yeah, we, we break up Will Muschamp and – yeah, I, of course, I wasn't doing Gators Breakdown when he was the head coach and stuff. I like actually him, him himself. I, I liked him. I liked him as a coach. You know, it, it didn't work out. Don't get me wrong. It, it was time to move on. It was time to get rid of him. But uh, that was one guy, you know, as a head coach, I wish it would have worked out because I, I did like him and all that. But uh, as I said, uh, when it comes to X's and O's and, and figuring out a game plan, in game adjustments, uh, I'm glad he's somebody else's problem. Oh man, well he, he found ways to snatch snatch defeat <laughs> from the jaws of victory multiple times. And you know, I mean, his defenses are always really really good. His offenses are always really conservative. 
And, you know, he sort of laid the groundwork for the lull that Florida has had, you know, the last, the last decade. And, you know, I mean, obviously Urban Meyer sort of laid that as well, but you know, Hey, I wish him well. I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think, you know, there, there's also the fact that he's a Georgia bulldog, which sort of is <laughs> not exactly ideal, but, uh, you know, hey, wish him well. I hope South Carolina does well for us champs' sake when they're not playing Florida, as long as they finish behind Florida in the SEC. And uh, you know, I hope he keeps. I hope he keeps getting ultra conservative in the fourth quarter whenever he plays. Uh, whenever he plays Florida. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Muschamp, get better recruiting instead of Georgia. You know, steal some from the Bulldogs. It's, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take anybody stealing from the Bulldogs. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. All right. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Also, catch us on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. When using those services, please share, rate, review the show. A lot of you out there are doing it. I shared a couple on social media uh, tonight, kind of before the broadcast. So thanks to everybody who goes to, to, to iTunes and YouTube and everywhere else to, to leave the comments. You know, let everybody know, uh, you know, what they're getting with getting from us, and it really helps the show grow. And uh, you know, so thanks once again for for all the kind words. And uh, as I mentioned, you can follow us on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So we we talk about the Gators overcoming a lot and down by a couple scores multiple times, but the one thing that I took away from this was sticking with a game plan. You know, the rush offense got in the groove. The defense did have that clutch second half, especially in the fourth quarter, counting them out. I'm not going to lie, but you know, this was a good, you know, it was good for this team to once again, find a way to win a game. And when they've, we go back and look at when they've been in this situation before you go back to the first time of the season, the Kentucky game where they kind of panicked and, you know, started just chucking the ball down the field. And then once again, against Missouri as well, this was nice to see a uh, sticking with a game plan that it just eventually wore South Carolina down. Yeah. I mean, and you could see that in the yards per rush. So they had 4.7 in the first quarter, then 5.5 in the second, 5.5 in the third, and then seven in, mm. the, in the fourth quarter and 161 total yards. But really, it was sort of they treaded water in the first half using the running game to stay close. I mean, there's no reason that game should have been 21 to 14 at the half. (laughs) And somehow they're within seven and you're just like, wow, how are they within seven? When you look at when you look at the way South Carolina was just running up and down the field, Um yeah, and, and they sort of waited it out until Felipe Franks really sort of got his sea legs. So in that first quarter, he averaged 5.3 yards per pass, you know, six six passes for 32 yards, then 7.3 in the second quarter, then eight in the third quarter, and then 14 in the fourth quarter. Now, he only threw the ball twice in the fourth quarter, but again, he was efficient when he was throwing the ball, especially in the third and the fourth quarters, and that sort of freed up the offense to to be an, to have enough balance to where they were then able to blow him off the ball running it. Yeah, the will and that goes kind of just goes to the next point of of what I was going with. And if we look at you know a lot of what we discussed last week that we wanted to see from this team kind of came to fruition against South Carolina. One sticking with the game plan, I, I did like that. And collectively, you know, these things that we brought up last week, our preview here on Gators Breakdown, your preview article and uh, article that you released at Read and Reaction. You know, were things that we saw versus South Carolina. We went into detail of Kadarius Tony's numbers last week, and you know, now we got a great performance from him. Even though you know South Carolina uh, was down numbers in the secondary, that's when they Florida came out with a, with a, with a game plan to run the ball, a heavy dose of the run game. And then you went in length about how the quarterback position uh, should get more carries to help this offense. Well, all three of those aspects were key in this Gators win. Yeah, I think that's something we really need to emphasize tonight is that last year we would see things on film and say, why isn't Frank's pulling the ball and running? Or why aren't they going at, why aren't they targeting anyone other than Brandon Powell? Or, you know, they aren't getting the ball to their playmakers often enough. And, you know, this year they haven't always done the types of things we thought they would need to do to be successful, but Mullen has, you've always seen changes when those sorts of things haven't been happening. So again, like you said, last week we were asking for more quarterback run. We were asking for more Kadarius Tony. We saw both of those in this game 
And it was necessary because they needed an explosive offense in this game, at least in the second half, to be able to come back and, and beat South Carolina because some of the shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball. So um, I think it's a really encouraging sign that Florida is making changes and adjustments, not only game to game, but also within the game. You know, coming out at halftime, they clearly decided they were going to put an emphasis on a few things and then did it there. So um, kudos to the kudos to the players, kudos to the, kudos to the coaching staff. Um, I think this was really a team win whenever you have a comeback like this i think it really indicates both faith from the players in the game plan but then also like you said the the uh the constitution to stick with the game plan even when things aren't necessarily going right well we we went into this season thinking hey florida's really deep at running back you got jordan scarlett we didn't necessarily know what we would get from jordan scarlett after missing last year we knew the type of back he was, but it's still how much of that year off. What, what would it do to him? Would it help because he there was a year he didn't get banged up, a year he wasn't taking hits, or was it a year that he took off and not necessarily uh, ready to cut, ready to, to ready to play? And missing that year, um, you know, could could it be a negative? And I think it did take him some time to get his feet under him. And I think lately we've seen that. The, I mean, he, he ran good against Georgia, you know, except for the fumble there. Um, you know, ran good at times this year, but definitely his best performance of the year uh, this past week. He's played pretty good against South Carolina too. And going back two years ago as well. Uh, and then also, you know, we had Michael Piran. You know, probably one of, as I said, going into the season, probably one of the least respected players on the team because he does get overlooked. And then Malik Davis also coming in, but we know the injury happened there. Damian Pierce comes and steps in, but it was also, you know, the Scarlet Piran. And then going back to your point last week of Franks using his legs or whoever the whoever lined up at the quarterback position using their legs. When we came into this season, those were the things we expected to see. We brought him up again last week. So maybe as this season winds down, uh, a lot of the things that we discussed coming into the season really end up being the strengths of this team. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think early in the season, it really looked like the offensive line was overmatched. And I think as we've progressed through the season, the unit, you maybe wouldn't say that they're an that they're always a strength, especially depending upon the quality of the defense that they're playing. So against Missouri, they got pushed around quite a bit, but against South Carolina, they did the pushing. And so, um, you know, is that a hangover from Georgia? Is that, that they just had a bad game? Is it that South Carolina happened to be a really good matchup? You know, I don't entirely know, but the offensive line played a lot better. And really when the offensive line is blowing the guys two, three yards back, it makes it a whole lot easier. The other thing is, is that the wide receivers did a really good job of blocking as well. I know, um, you know, he probably wouldn't have been in the game if it wasn't for the injury to Freddie Swain. But Kadarius Tony had a block that I put in my article where he just pancaked a South Carolina linebacker, drove him back 10 yards, and then just snuck him right on his butt. Will, 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 will. repeat that one more time. Kadarius Tony pancaked a South Carolina <laughs> linebacker. So, I mean, he out of out of everything he should be proud of for his performance, that's the one where I think he, you know, that's the one I had the most fun watching and putting in the article because he just he engaged with the linebacker, drove him back five or six yards, and then just pam right into the ground. So, um, you know, the wide receivers were doing a great job blocking, and you know, one of the things that we said last week was that the threat of Tony being on the field is important because if you bring him out there and they know you're going to target him, then they can shade the defense, his direction. And they actually ran three plays in the fourth quarter on, on the last touchdown drive. You know, they had two straight plays where he was aligned in the same place and they ran Scarlett off to the right-hand side and Scarlett was able to get, I think like nine yards and then seven yards on those two. And then they ran the reverse to Tony out of that exact same formation. And South Carolina thought they were getting Scarlett again. And instead they got Tony coming around the edge. And that was the 33 yard run that got him down to the end zone and really set up that, that game winning touchdown. So, um, you know, having him on the field, allows you to do those sorts of things and have some misdirection that really has been missing from the offense the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle that they had him in there, you know, because quite honestly, he's small. You don't figure he's going to be a dynamic blocker, but he was against South Carolina and it made a difference. We're going to get into uh, one other player ad-libbing. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of one thing Kadarius Tony does. And then oh, Mullen mentioned it at his press conference is, hey, look, uh, Mullen pretty much admitted we got to get the ball in his hands more. You know, it, it, I'll take the blame uh, of not getting the ball 
not, you know, forcing and we can force the ball into his hands more, um, as especially what we saw against South Carolina and moving forward. We have FSU and, and the bowl game coming up as well. Uh, but you know, Mullen did admit that, but he also admitted, you know, look, we, we have these design plays, but once he gets the ball, we don't really know where he's going with it. So, you know, and uh, Tony kind of also was talking to that point to say he is learning more, he's learning what to do. Uh, but it, it is seems like when he gets the ball in his hands and hey look it, it, it works it's what makes the offense works it's led to some explosive plays is him just you know getting the ball in his hands and being electric being that type of playmaker getting yards he could go and run straight forward and get you know maybe three four more yards but he's looking to make something bigger happen and it's not you don't see you with a lot of those players. You see a lot of negative plays happen that way, trying to make maybe too much happen. But for whatever reason, that little knack he has in of reversing field usually works out to his advantage. Yeah, well, I mean, he he touched the ball on four of the five scoring drives. He had thirty three yards on one drive. He had thirty one on another, um, and then he had fourteen and six on the other two. And he he only got caught in the backfield once. Right there was one play where where South Carolina got penetration and. <clears throat> excuse me, and stuffed him. But other than that, you know, he, like you said, he doesn't get caught in the backfield very often. So it's like an automatic four or five yards when he touches the ball, regardless. And when he touches it, they score. I mean, there's a pretty, I'm pretty sure that if you go back over the entire year and really sort of look at their scoring drives, there's a lot of the little, a lot of little screen passes to Tony where he, you know, takes something that would have normally left him in like, say a third and three, third and two, he puts one little juke on the defender, they get a first down and now all of a sudden the offense is humming. So um, yeah, I mean, Mullen admitted it. He needs to get him the ball more. Um, last week I said, you know, it wasn't even the idea that they needed to get him the ball. It was that he's got a gravity. You have to pay attention to him. And when you have to pay attention to him, it opens up other things. And, and we saw that as well in, in, in the article, I diagrammed a play that they threw to tight end, uh, Siante Lewis coming on sort of a little, a little out route. And he sort of slow played it, but Tony was the receiver on the outside who was running off the corner in the safety. And the safety got sort of a late start on Lewis and wasn't able to get there in time. Frank's threw a really nice ball. You can't do that if your wide receivers can't stretch the defense. And they were clearly afraid of Tony going deep, and that opened that up underneath. So just having him on the field makes a difference. Now, obviously, having him on the field and getting the ball is, is what you really want to do. And and they did they got it to him six times. I mean, I think we typically would I think most of us want to see him want to see him touch it a little bit more, um, and that was one of the reasons why the Emory Jones package in the Georgia game was a little bit surprising. Is it just meant they were taking the ball out of Tony's hands when they did that? And I think Emory Jones is a really good player. I don't think he's as dynamic with the ball in his hands as Kadarius Tony because I'm not sure anybody is as dynamic with the ball in his hands. I mean, he really reminds me. I can't remember who the player is for, for who just torched Ohio State from Purdue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name, but you know that game that I was watching when Purdue was playing Ohio State, he just torched him. Like that reminds me, or that that to me is the way I think Florida should use Kadarius Tony because he can he can you know reverses and just hand him the ball in the backfield and little screen passes and little things over the middle and all sorts of different things, creative ways to get him the ball. Do that over and over again, you're gonna you're gonna win. And it looks like I mean he was really delivering some blows out there, so I don't think that. You know, some of the concerns about durability, I, I don't think you necessarily need to worry about. And you certainly don't need to worry about it once you get up against Florida State. It's the last game of the year. You made mm-hmm. flying out. Exactly. Yeah. Get the ball 15 times. I don't care. 20 times. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever whatever it goes to, to finally beat those guys, uh, get, get it done. And hey, look, I mentioned ad libbing and how Kadarius Tony does it. Well, it came out today. Uh, that Franks did some ad-libbing uh, on that last touchdown the Gators scored. Uh, it was fourth and one, and Franks couldn't find the signal from the sidelines. Uh, so, you know, good for him. Doesn't panic. Uh, calls a play from his wristband and uh, gets in uh, for the game-winning score. And quote from uh, Franks here is, I, I just wanted to run somebody over. I was super pissed, Franks said. So I just wanted to lower my head. I mean, I have faith in myself and confidence in myself to go, and especially on fourth and one, I wanted the ball and I wanted to score. So Dan Mullen had to say about that. It was the same play. So he called the right one because that's what we signaled in. Mullen said he's a little flaky sometimes, but we had it. We had run it the same play before just our quarterback off tackle play. So we signaled to run the same play. 
I think it's good. I mean, I don't know if he was even looking because I think he was yelling to us to run the same play, and we called the same play, Mullen said. Uh, it's good. I like that he wants the ball in his hand on the game-winning play to win the game. I always think that's huge and that uh, that you want guys – that want the ball in their hands to win the game. That just shows their confidence in themselves and their belief in themselves that they can make the play to win the game. Will, this was uh, taking all that into account, taking the shushing into account. Uh, this was definitely a game where Franks played with some emo uh, emotion, and I really think it, it, it fueled him. Going back to last week and all the Kyle Trask talk before the injury, uh, the boos early in the game, uh, not necessarily. I don't, I don't think they were all directed towards Franks, but believe me, some of them were. Some of them were directed at the play calling uh, a, a, as well. So, but, you know, he took it. Uh, where's his, you know, you, you, where's his emotion on the sleeve? You can see it. And I really do think it played a part in how Felipe Franks uh, ended up playing when it was all said and done in that game. And um, the shushing didn't bother me. This uh, little fourth and one ad living, of course, it worked out, so it doesn't bother me either. Uh, but uh, the, the uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the way. Look, was it a great performance? Was it you know the 250, 300 yards passing that we want to see from a quarterback? No, but putting all things uh, aside and and needing a win, you know, I, I like what I saw from Felipe Franks on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he's an average quarterback. Yep. And and that's really sort of what he is at this point. That doesn't mean he won't be a really good quarterback next year. I tend to doubt it. I think this is probably about what we're going to see from him. But, hey, maybe another year in Mullen's system, he becomes a lot better. But, you know, we're, we should expect average quarterback play. So the idea that he's going to go out there and sling the ball for 350 yards just is misguided because that's not who he is. It's not what he does. He's not entirely – he's not accurate much at all. But he wasn't accurate in high school either. So that's not something we should necessarily expect. Expect. Um, so he played pretty poorly in the first half. You know, he had five rushes for 16 yards, 10 attempts for 61 yards, and they rode the offensive line in the running game to those 14 points that they scored and basically did, they basically brought the game back into control in spite of Franks in the first half. In the second half, he had 11 attempts for 100 yards, and he didn't really have any really big shots. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty consistent then. He had 11 rush for 30 yards, and that's really where he was able to differentiate himself, getting first downs, getting them into second and eight or second and twos, those sorts of things when he was running showed a lot of toughness and certainly all the runs that he made for touchdowns, including that last play. Bothers me a little bit that he's not looking in the right place to get the play call on a fourth down and that he doesn't call a timeout at that point to to confirm, right? Yeah, well, it wasn't clear if it was, you know, the, the singular's fault or his fault of not knowing where the person was. That, that part wasn't clear, but I do agree with you on the timeout part. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, I'm glad he wants the ball. I hope he wants yeah. the ball. I mean, you, you, you want a player who's got that kind of – who's got that kind of moxie at the end of the game. But, yeah, you, you, you would hope that if you don't get the play call in, <laughs> you would if call they had a – I can't remember if they – I'm pretty – I think they had a timeout, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I mean, and as far as the shushing, I mean, yeah, that doesn't bother me. I, I know there were a lot of people out there who were who were offended by it or thought it showed poor leadership or anything or things like that. And I mean, look, I, I understand where they're coming from, that it, the perception is, is that he's got rabbit ears then. Right. That he's that he's listening to what everybody says rather than just going out and proving you know, playing better and, and shutting him up, but he played better. And so he should shut him up in some capacity in this game. And then, you know, like I said in the article, I would have used a different finger if I'd have been a 19 year old and gone after all or gone through all of the criticism and all the, all the, all the vitriol that he gets as the quarterback, but you know, it goes both ways. I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily like, I hope the fan base, takes it easy on the quarterback. I think it's bad that he gets booed, um, but that's certainly within their right. And, you know, players like Tim Tebow um, get the benefit of being fantastic because of the passion of the fan base and players like Franks and Del Rio and Appleby and Treon, those guys sort of feel the ire of the fan base because of that passion as well. And you can't really have it both ways. And I think it's pretty clear at this point that if you come to play floor, if you come to play quarterback at Florida, that you're going to have to deal with some criticism and you're going to have to deal with people who expect you to be fantastic. And if you don't, if you're not fantastic, there's going to be a segment of the fan base. that's always going to be critical but if you are fantastic, you'll be able to walk around Gainesville the rest of your life and never pay for a beer. And so there's a there's a cost benefit as a recruit that you've got to take into account. And I think guys who want that kind of that want that 
guys who want that kind of challenge are going to be the kind of guys that Mullen's going to want to bring in and are going to be the kind of guys that the fan base will really embrace. Absolutely. Will you brought up this uh, next group uh, earlier on, but uh, Martez Ivy named SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. So, uh, of course, after uh, this team runs for 367 yards in a conference game, it probably should be uh, a Gator Offensive Lineman that is named for that award. So, Ivy graded out a team high 91% and had three knockdown blocks. Uh, that's how uh, the SEC described it there. So, well, after the performance they had last week, you know, against Missouri, it was good to see the bounce back uh, from that group as well. Many times I saw Tyler Jordan whipping around and getting blocks, Jawan Taylor downfield at the second level, springing runs, uh, as well as a force and short yardage plays. You know, besides his penalties that he had, a, a good showing by, by by this unit. And as I said, a, a way to bounce back and hopefully kind of coming together for this uh, season, for, uh, you know, the Idaho game and the season finale in a couple weeks. Yeah, I thought the thing that was really impressive was in the fourth quarter, you knew they were going to run the ball, and they just ran right over them, right? I mean, it, and, and not only in the drives to get the touchdowns, but when they got the ball back with, you know, a little bit of time mm-hmm. left and needed a first down, I mean, it, it, it didn't even look difficult. <laughs> Scarlett converted the first down, and the offensive line was holding onto its blocks, and they were... Uh, they weren't allowing any sort of penetration. And, and that, that I think, was sort of the story. The only time I can remember the offensive line giving up penetration was the one play where Tony got hit in the backfield. And other than that, I mean, there might have been one or two others, but it, there was not consistent penetration. The running backs didn't have to dance in the backfield. And I think that really, more than anything, is why Scarlett looks so good in the game because he's not the kind of player who wants to dance. If you can get him three yards past the line of scrimmage with a full head of steam, I mean, we saw it. He ran over that poor safety like two or three plays in a row. And even on the broadcast, they're just like, wow, he's going to – like he's gonna try to kill him. But. It's crazy. Uh, before we move on from there, there will. It's crazy how you know that was. It's not been a signature play of this season, but I've probably watched that play a good five, six times the last couple of days. <laughs> well, I mean, it's indicative of the kind of stuff we think this team is capable of. But you really got to give him that three or four yards of mm-hmm. head of steam. It, it reminded me a lot of the LSU game in 2016 when they were, um, you know, when they were on the. You know they're 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 there in Baton Rouge and they were knocking them back and P Ryan and Scarlett were able to really sort of take control of that game. Then the game came down to the final drive at the end where the defense had to make the stop because those guys couldn't push it into the end zone and that actually is where the quarterback running became really important in this game. I mean you know Franks was able to put it in the end zone consistently when it was time and you know the reality is if you bunch all eleven guys or all. 10 guys other than the running back up on the line of scrimmage, you're going to have a numbers advantage if you run your, if you run your quarterback and, and that's what they did. And and they were able to get him in there. So finishing those drives, I think was important. That was the only thing that was missing back in 2016. But again, I think sort of the offensive line, knocking people back two or three yards, Scarlett getting that head of steam. I mean, it's not a coincidence that he was the guy that, that was really sort of the bell cow for the game. And I mean, P Ryan played well too, but, but I mean, when Scarlett was in there, you knew it. Well, sometimes a predictable offense isn't the best thing, but when I can predict a quarterback run in this mulling style, mulling style offense, I kind of consider it a good a good thing because at this time, you know, you kind of feel that play when it can work. You know, it would go back and like, I'm no way comparing Felipe Franks to Tim Tebow, but you knew when they would call that play. You know, get old Miss game, you know, throw it out of the window for for that. But when that play was called, or or you can just feel that third and two, third and one, or a second one. You know, just when you needed that conversion, you just felt that play coming along. You could call it, and yeah, you, know, you knew the defense was knowing it was coming as well. They couldn't stop it, and I felt that way a couple of times, as you mentioned in this in the South Carolina game, and, and specifically with that quarterback run. And you know, I thought it was you know really cool that you pointed it out last week how much they needed to do it. We actually saw it used in this game, and also being able to kind of sense when they would use it, but South Carolina couldn't stop it anyway. Yeah, well, it's one of the few things I've gotten right this year <laughs> when it comes to this team. But, I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it became pretty obvious that that was something that was working against Missouri and they went away from it. And I was a little bit curious as to why. Now, part of it is, is that, you know, I, it, the interesting thing was them going to it as much as they did, considering the lack of depth that they have at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And Emory Jones is over there putting on his helmet 
because Franks got hit right in the back. And if he hadn't been able to continue, then you, then I think people start questioning the amount that you're running your quarterback. And, you know, hopefully they're not going to do that at all against Idaho this week because you don't want to get anybody hurt in this game because you're going to need that running game again against Florida State. But, you know, it does make me wonder. I mean, we, we watched the McElwain offense for so long, and with Greer, it didn't really matter. But, man, Treon Harris running on these sorts of things mm-hmm. would have really – I mean, he was never going to be a fantastic throwing quarterback, but if they would have had these types of runs in there for him, I feel like he really could have been at least an adequate quarterback. And the same thing with Driscoll and the same thing with Tyler Murphy and some of those other guys who were in there. Um, you know, you just look back and go, wow, the offense would have been so much better with some of the guys that they have in there if they'd had that dynamic. And the fact that they have that dynamic now really opens things up. Um, I'm waiting for them to run the play where he fakes the run. And then comes back, and you wonder whether that one's in the pocket against Florida State, whether they're going to try to take a deep shot off the bat or or, or some sort of post, because <laughs> you know, they keep trying to hit that deep. Yeah, yeah. And Franks doesn't really throw that very well. What he does seem to throw pretty well is sort of the little intermediate post, I guess you might call it, to Van Jefferson. Yeah. And I wonder whether if he gives that little fake, whether it's sort of like Tebow to Lewis Murphy yeah. in the LSU game. It was not this big 50-yard throw to Murphy. It was you know 20 yards, and then Murphy did the rest because the LSU corner was nowhere mm. to be found. And that's coming sometime, either, either uh, against Florida State or in the bowl game, and I'm going to be... Um, you know, hopefully I'll be right on that one too, because that'll probably end up being a touchdown if they call it. Man, hopefully in the first quarter, Will, it was another game where the Gators did not score in the first quarter. So three points in the last six games in the first quarter. Uh, and with the way this defense has played lately, too, giving up some fast scores, you know, that's uh, you know, hopefully it is a play something like that that gets this offense. You know, I'm not going to count the Idaho game this much uh, this week uh, as much when I'm kind of looking at that stat. <laughs> You know, if, if it doesn't happen, I guess you can kind of point to it, but I kind of expect it to to turn it around. But when FSU, when they line up against FSU, of course, uh, the week after next, you, know, you hope within these next couple of weeks, they look, they're going to be game planning for FSU for two weeks. Sorry, it's Idaho. I mean, that's what they should be doing. Uh, but, you know, hopefully with these next two weeks, they can just find some way to get off to a faster start on offense, but not only on offense, on defense as well. Yeah, the offensive slow start in this one's a little bit misleading because the defense just could not get off the field in that first quarter. So, you know, South Carolina drove down, scored touchdowns on both drives. There were broken coverages all over the place. They really, really isolated the tight ends and made, or I'm sorry, they really isolated the linebackers and, and, you know, made them look silly on a few plays. Um, Another busted coverage where the tight end was running right down the center of the field looked like a very similar play to the one that they had against Missouri. And then all of a sudden the defense tightened up his belt and South Carolina couldn't stop Florida's offense very much anymore. Um, You know, but they scored with what, like a minute into the, into the second quarter. So I'm less concerned about, like, I didn't necessarily feel like it was a slow start for the offense so much as it just, the offense wasn't on the field very much because South Carolina was, was running up and down at the entire time. So I, I mean, it goes both ways, right? If you get two, three and outs, then maybe Florida looks much better in this game because, you know, yeah. they, they're able to just blow South Carolina off the ball from the start and it's, and they're not down 14 nothing, and then 21 7, and then what, 31 to. Um, 31-14, and you know they they kept getting down because the defense kept giving up big plays. And once the defense stopped giving up the big plays, and the offense was able to take over. So um, I think there's some some uh, synergy there that if the defense can can get off the field, it'll allow the offense to have maybe a little bit quicker start. Um, but obviously, they did have one drive and they didn't score. And um, you know, but when you've only got one and a half drives in a quarter, it's uh, you know you can't you can't necessarily think that you're always going to convert. And so that's sort of what we saw. All right, well, so with the Gators defeat of South Carolina, overall seven and three record and finished SEC play five and three. Uh, well, of course, before uh, the season started, you know, this was, but this is going about as expected for, for, for me right now. The Gators should finish the season nine and three, uh, but, you know, they'd have eight and four. You know, we can take a look at what happened in the SEC. We'll get the FSU uh, with plenty of time coming up. But, you know, but going back, Will, it was a, uh, uh, a conference schedule that started with an uh, unexpected loss to Kentucky, then beating rival Tennessee at Tennessee, uh, then the huge back-to-back wins over Mississippi State and LSU, uh, the comeback versus Vanderbilt, uh, the hanging tough loss to Georgia, and then kind of follow that up with a disappointing showing last week versus Missouri, only to have the great second-half comeback versus South Carolina. And, of course, you know, we'll, we'll review the season when it's all said and done. Uh, but, Will, this, this SEC schedule had it all. Uh, the, the season – 
can be elevated or a disappointment given whatever happens versus Florida State. But I'd say, you know, it's been a successful first year in the SEC, and I know not everyone will agree that the streak versus Kentucky ended, uh, gave Missouri their first conference win of the season. There's no shame losing to Georgia uh, this year. But, you know, given, 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 but given the other two losses, I can somewhat uh, understand um, – but the ex- but expectations come into play here. I can understand where there'd be some disappointment, but uh, expectations definitely, definitely come into play here. You know, I, I didn't expect to lose their games. Don't get me wrong, uh, but uh, also turned it around, beat Mississippi State and LSU, two teams that really weren't expected to beat. And look, you lost to one of the best Kentucky teams that they've had in a very, very long time. The streak was eventually going to end. It was a perfect storm. Uh, but I, I find hard to be really disappointed in a uh, five and three conference record with some pretty big wins along the way. No, I think it's about what most people probably expected. It's better than what I expected. Um, you know, I, I think if a few plays go one way or the other, uh, maybe we're talking about this a little bit differently. I mean, if Mississippi State catches that ball that hits this receiver right on the hands, you know, maybe that's a loss. Um, if if Burrow is able to drive LSU down the field instead of throwing a pick six, maybe that one's a loss. Um, you look at this one, if they hadn't really sort of woken up just in the nick of time, um, you know, and to be honest, that the 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 game with South Carolina kind of turned on that ridiculous bad snap where Franks picked oh, it up, man. got the little face mask they didn't call, and then threw the ball, and it bounces off his receiver's hands up to his other receiver, and you're sitting there going, that ball is usually intercepted. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, you're just like, God, this whole thing looks ridiculous, it's like bad news bears out there. And then all of a sudden, bam, and they're just flying up and down the field from that point on. So, you know, it, it just like any season – except for Alabama this year, I suppose. But but just like any season, it, it'll turn on a few plays here or there. And the difference last year was Florida did not have any ability to make those plays when it really came time to do it. I mean, you know, the game against Texas A&M, it just felt like um, there just wasn't – the offense could not get over the hump and and move the ball at all. Against LSU, they had a bunch of chances to in the fourth quarter to move down the field, and they weren't able to do it. And this year against LSU, when they had an opportunity to score, they did it. Against South Carolina, they did it. Against Kentucky, they weren't able to do it. And, uh, you know, against Georgia, I think they were just outclassed a little bit this year. So, um, you know, I, I think overall you look at this and say they were picked somewhere second or third in the SEC East. I think that's, that's kind of where they finished up. And, um, you know, but – yeah, I mean, if they finish nine and three with a win against Tennessee and a win against LSU and a win against State, I mean, you go, okay, well, three of your four main rivals you beat, and nine and three is what is what Urban Meyer was in his first year at Florida. Followed it up with a really, really dynamic recruiting class, and all of a sudden he had a national championship contender. Um, there's going to have to be some significant progress in the quarterback room in order for that to be repeated in year two for Florida. But um, you know, Felipe Franks even has, you know, he was. So he's got a quarterback rating of 134.8. That's 64th in the country. He was at 113.3 last year, which was 111th. So anybody saying that Franks is 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 garbage, that's not true. He's just average. He's he's in the middle of the pack in terms of quarterback play. And if he can make a similar jump next year to where he's like top 30, all of a sudden Florida's going to have an offense that's humming. And, you know, the offense is averaging over 30 points a year or 30 points a game. And, I mean, for, for an offense that's ha- that averaged 21 last year against FBS opponents, I think that's significant, significant progress and something that uh, Florida fans should really look at with with enthusiasm towards next year's SEC schedule. Yeah, he's talking about next year's SEC schedule. Auburn comes to the swamp and, of course, LSU and, of course, the SEC East opponents as well when you know georgia and we can already say yes they'll be picked to win the east next year <laughs> when it's all said and done we we, we don't have to wait till july uh next year to figure that out that uh, there will be so it will be interested to see where florida's pegged uh behind that i would imagine second you know looking at a, a year from now but uh you know i think you'll have a better tennessee team uh, that you'll be playing as well uh kentucky probably fall off a little bit missouri probably falls off a little bit uh, South Carolina don't really know uh, kind of what to expect. So I think the East schedule probably gets a little easier with Tennessee getting a little more difficult. Georgia being about the uh, the same, probably even better. Uh, hopefully Florida can take that next step as well. Uh, Auburn, when they come to the swamp, yeah, I, mean, I don't, you know, Stidham hasn't decided what he's going to do yet. So we'll kind of see there. And then the, the road trip to, to Baton Rouge. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, looking at it next year's SEC schedule, it's, uh, Kind of comparable uh, to this year's, I'd say, when it's all said and done. After you, you know, you had that road trip, 
the emotional road trip for Dan Mullen's return uh, to Mississippi State and then coming back to the Swamp uh, and to beat LSU there. So you know, this SEC schedule this year kind of kind of had it all. We, it, it was a it was a fun roller coaster when it was all said and done for this year in the SEC for the Gators. Yeah, I'll be honest. Next year's schedule is a national championship caliber schedule if they can if they can pull things off. I mean, you look at what happened to LSU this year after opening up with Miami and then beating Auburn. Um, even with the loss to Florida, if they'd have been able to pull off that game against Alabama, they'd be in the talk for the playoffs. And Florida's going to sort of be in the same position next year where they'll probably have the ability to have one slip up. Um, but if they can find a way to beat Georgia and they've beaten Miami to start the year, it's going to be hard to keep them out of the conversation. And so... Oh. My, Miami won't have the preseason expectations that they had. <laughs> well, that may be true, but I mean, when you look at a team and it's non-conference schedule, uh-huh. instead of playing Charleston Southern, yep. you play Miami, and then you play Florida State on your non-conference. Um, you know, you're at least trying to, mm-hmm. to schedule to schedule real teams. Now, whether Miami and Florida State show up or whether the backpack is still making an appearance next year, you know, we won't really know. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, but I, I gotta say, I, I I didn't see the backpack when they got an interception the other day when they were down by like fifty. I think uh, I saw a tweet about it, so maybe maybe may, I think they did, but I, I agree, I, I didn't see it either. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think I you know I, I think Florida fans have a lot to be excited about for this year, and and I think um, you know you look at where the team was, you look at sort of the 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 struggles that they had in the Missouri game and, and really sort of the animus that they had towards the fans that's been stoked by Mullen. And, you know, they use that for motivation certainly, but also, I mean, they're a seven and three team and they're probably going to be eight and three after next week. And they got a really good shot at nine and three. And, you know, again, like I said, Urban Meyer went nine and three in his first year. And I think that's a pretty good benchmark. Um, obviously that has to be followed up by recruiting. It has to be followed up by quarterbacks. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Florida got Tim Tebow, you know, five-star quarterback and, and a legend. And that sort of turned the Urban Meyer um, regime into a success. I mean, I don't, I don't think if they um, hadn't gotten Tebow that they would have been near as successful. And so that's one of the things that, that Mullen's really going to have to do is bring in some of those blue chip guys. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a good foundation for what he's trying to build. Certainly with to be able to write the ship against South Carolina becomes very, very significant just because of the inability of Florida State thus far to be able to write the ship. You figure that in, they're not favored against NC State this week. They're not going to be favored against Florida. They're going to be missing a bowl game. Miami's struggling too. There's really an opportunity here to be the big dog in the state again and, and be able to sort of dominate in a way they haven't in the past. And and we'll see if Mullen's able to take advantage. Well, I think I saw the stat earlier this season and I'm mad at myself for now just thinking about it. Beat Mississippi State, beat LSU. When's the last time Florida beat their two West opponents? I'm going to have to go back and look that up. You're going to have to research that one because yeah. I do not know. Yeah, I right was top of my head. You know, I, I could sit here and just go through all the years, but that would be boring for the podcast. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, the two national championship years, they lost to Auburn right. in, in 2006, and they lost to Ole Miss in 2008. Mm-hmm. So, yep, um, yep, exactly. So, yeah, you can't uh, – 2012? No. Well, yeah, because they lost to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. That's It has to be 2012, right? I got to tell you, man, this this is fascinating podcasting. Right? <laughs> okay. But it didn't take long. I think it has to be 2012. So if I'm wrong, people will correct me, I'm sure, uh, there. So, but yeah, it has to be 2012 because they lost to uh, Georgia and Louisville. So that's the that's that's the one, that's the quickest one that can come to my head anyway. So you better that, than I do, that's for sure. Yeah. Was that, uh, wait, 2015, right? No, they lost to LSU. Okay. I told myself I won't go do this and I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, we definitely went in 15 because I know they beat Ole Miss, but yeah, lost the LSU, so yeah, 2012 is what I'm going with. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, people will correct me, but that's just uh, on a whim there. Uh, there, and like I said, yeah, beating uh, Tennessee as well, uh, of course, and beating Tennessee, LSU, like you mentioned, you two, two of your conference rivals, losing to Georgia, you know, hopefully, we'll get that turned around soon. But uh, hey, look, ultimately, when you're a head coach at Florida, you're going to be judged on what you do in the SEC. Uh, and of course FSU as well, but it kind of, you, know, you got those eight conference games a year that you got to do something with and, uh, off to a good start, uh, for Dan Mullen. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, I, I think the, <clears throat> the loss to Kentucky is something that people are going to look at and sort as sort of a black mark, but Kentucky was a pretty good team this year. And, uh, this was sort of, this was sort of Stoops 
opportunity to build up with a bunch of seniors and and have a really really good defense and certainly they laid an egg last week but uh but for the most part i mean kentucky's a pretty good team and and so there's no shame in losing to them especially early on i mean that second game granted it's a home game but that second game still sort of trying to implement some of the things mullen's trying to do i think if they played now the game would be considerably different and that's all you can really ask i mean right last year we just kept begging for progress and never saw any and this year we've seen progress from game one to game two, all the way to game 10. It's one of the things that I think was um, disturbing about the Missouri games. It didn't feel like there was any progress. Like there was progress in the Georgia game. And then they sort of took a step back in the Missouri game. But, you know, sometimes that's going to happen when you've got a new regime and they sort of have to figure out um, how to motivate their guys and, and figure out who's really down in the trenches with them after a tough loss. And I think they probably figured that out and, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, very impressed with the way they were able to come back against South Carolina. All right. Yeah. Well, so end of the SEC schedule, but of course, a couple more games for the Gators, of course, as they um, will uh, go to Idaho or play, play Idaho and then go to Tallahassee uh, against FSU. And uh, that game will, will was announced as the noon game on ABC against Florida State. And uh, hey, look, let's go. Uh, let's go swamp out the dope. Their uh, their 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 team, look, it's it's ugly right now. Willie Tiger's first year, it's not happening. Just got blasted by Notre Dame. Um, Florida fans are feeling good right now, and uh, there's a, a good chance that uh, FSU fans won't be showing up uh, at at the stadium to to kind of see. Hopefully, what would be a, a Gator win. So, plenty of tickets out there. I'm sure available uh, for to, to get out there. So it'd be nice to see uh, after all the talk of the crowd lately of going out and, and get a big orange and blue showing in the in Dope Campbell Stadium in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, they shouldn't have many more than at the Vanderbilt game the other day when it sounded like a Florida home crowd. So, <laughs> so hopefully that'll happen up in Tallahassee. Certainly it's not that far of a ride. And, um, you know, you might get your tires slashed if you've got stuff, <laughs> if you've got Gator stuff on your car. But, uh, you know, hey, it's a fun place to go catch a game, actually. And and uh, you know, certainly if the Gators are going to win, then, then, then it's a great place to catch a game. And with all of the... Like I said, there's really an opportunity here for Florida. I mean, Taggart, um, you know, if if he was six and five, six and or if he was six and six this season, seven and five, something like that, you could be like, okay, well, maybe he's making some progress. But you know, they've just looked so incompetent on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you know, they get beat by Virginia Tech to start the year, and you think, oh, well. You know, maybe Virginia Tech's really good. Well, it turns out Virginia Tech's not any good, and it's just the Florida State wasn't any good. And you know, they just their offensive line has been terrible. And you know, I tweeted something the other night that they are the twenty four seven composite ranking has them fifth overall in terms of talent on that roster. Yet this is what they're putting together. So even if Taggart's putting together top five classes, I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be able to write the ship. And so certainly that's something that. Uh, that Florida fans are going to enjoy seeing. So yeah, go out to the swamp and check it out. Cause it may be, it may be the start. You can say that you were there for the start of Florida, Florida's new uh, era of dominance. Yep. Uh, so yeah, be awesome to see uh, a ton of Gator fans in Tallahassee in a couple of weeks, but uh, got to get past this. Uh, I don't know if I can call them pesky vandals or, or not. I don't, I don't know enough about Idaho to, I don't believe you don't want to talk about Mason Petrino, their junior quarterback from Pullman, Washington. <laughs> I was all prepared, and you're not. <laughs> no, man, it, it ought to be 60. They ought to win by 60, and we'll yeah. see what they do. I am kind of interested to see what they're going to do with the quarterback position, though, because yeah. I don't imagine they're going to want to expose Franks the entire game. And right. then who do you put in? Because do you put in Emory Jones? Because then – you either can't play him against Florida State or you can't play him in the bowl game. It does sound like Trask might be back for the bowl game, so you'd at least have a backup then without having to burn the red shirt. But it just seems kind of ridiculous to burn a red shirt in order to get um, Emory Jones, you know, 20, 25 snaps against Idaho. Nick Sproles. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, he's been there for a while now. Let's, yeah. Let's get him some handoffs. Why not? Why not? But yeah, it, it would be interesting to. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk of Emory Jones and how he'll play. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't think you can. Um, I don't think you can play him in this game. Uh, if you want to, uh, I, I think you know, package for him maybe in, in the uh, FSU game. But I think you kind of have to, yeah, you know, you probably have to protect Frank's injury here. Uh, or or for if he does get injured, I think you'd probably have be able to fill him in with Emory Jones. 
with Kyle Trask being out, if you know somehow he got hurt against FSU, Emory could come in in that situation and and the bowl game as well. So yeah, I'm not sure. Sure, would ideally would it have been you know good to see Emory with a lot of snaps against Idaho? Yeah, but with the Trask injury, it does kind of change some things there. So uh, we don't know how Dan Mullen wants to play it. I do think he wants to save the red shirt there. So uh, kind of to see where he sees the value in uh, playing Emory Jones and uh, either getting a whole lot of snaps against Idaho or kind of save him for maybe some packages and then maybe uh, play a lot in that bowl game as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about the running quarterback and Jones certainly brings that, brings that dimension. Now, you know, whether that, so it it doesn't bring a whole lot of value. There's, there's no excess Mm -hmm. value to having Emory Jones play against Idaho, unless you feel like he just really needs those snaps. In which case he wasn't really ready for you know, in which case you're not going to play him against Florida State or in the bowl game that much, and you're just going to say, "Hey, we're going to redshirt him. We're going to give him three or four plays in one of those games, and you know, we're going to let him play in I- against Idaho." So I do think it'll say a lot about where he is in his development. I mean, if he plays three quarters against Idaho, I think that tells you that his development is behind where you would want him if he was going to play a significant role this year in either the Florida State game or the bowl game. Um, I think if he plays, I, I think if he doesn't play at all against Idaho, it says something about you know Mullen's desire to at least have him as a a um, you know a competent backup in those games against Florida State and the bowl game. So again, I think it'll tell us something. I'll certainly be watching. There's never a game on. Oh yeah. Especially with the with the months and months and months that are about to come upon us when the season is over of, of talking about recruiting and talking about what could be as opposed to what actually is going on in the field. So um should be exciting to watch. It's nice to see that there's a storyline going into there and that there's some strategy. I, I've really enjoyed the four-year redshirt or the four-game redshirt rule this year. Um, I think it was interesting to see the way it played out at Clemson. I think it's interesting to see the way it's playing out here. Um, you know, Emory Jones probably hasn't even attempted to touch the field at this point if uh, if that four-game rule isn't in effect. And, and, you know, same thing with, like, Jacob Copeland. He might mm-hmm. be able to come back and play against Idaho and maybe play a role as a kick returner or something like that against Florida State. Um, certainly the one blemish on Tony's mark the other day against South Carolina was the muffed punt. He struggled with that in the past. Um, Swain, is he going to be healthy enough against Florida State to return punts? You don't know. Can Copeland do that? That is something that he's done in the past, I think, in high school. All right, all right. So that'll do it for this episode. Uh, as I mentioned, noon game, ABC, it was announced uh, today uh, against Florida State. So go Gator fans, go swamp out the doke, and uh, we'll see uh, We'll see what the Gators have in a couple of weeks. But Idaho up first uh, this weekend. Well, what you got uh, coming up on Read Reaction this week? Yeah, I'm probably going to have a couple of film studies up. So not necessarily anything to preview <laughs> preview the Idaho game. but uh, Yeah, I thought yeah. about uh, counting, counting years of uh, the last time Florida won SEC uh west opponents that that might be more riveting than an idaho preview <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i mean i i think sort of what we talked about tonight in terms of taking a look at what um what mullen's done in year one in the sec how that compares to some people and then also what how has the team improved from game one and what does that mean moving forward so um you know we'll see i i think <laughs> it's a little bit fluid in terms of what i'll write about but uh but there's never a dull moment. Something's going to happen, man. We both know it. Oh, hush your mouth, Will. <laughs> uh, it'll be fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find his work at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.